Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, we take on a couple of villains to sort out whether bad stuff is also illegal stuff. George Santos won a seat in Congress by lying to voters, but is that a crime? And Kanye West made it clear he hates Jews. In England, he'd go to jail for that. Here in America, did he commit a hate crime? Listen to Too Many Lawyers on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. John Anik and Kenny Florian. I fucking love them. I can't get enough of them. Let's hear that boss next. Big job there from Duffy and Frank Mir is hurt now. Down goes Duffy O'Connor. Frank Mir does it again. Rock'em, sock'em, robots here. Oh, my goodness. They're a couple of absolutely self-involved bullshit artists. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. Oh, Sunday edition of the Anakin Florian podcast. Great to be with you. It is October 24th. The year is 2021. We're still wearing masks everywhere pretty much. It's episode 322 of the Anakin Florian podcast. Great to have you with us. Ken Flo certainly feels like a pay-per-view week. You know, wheels up for me to Abu Dhabi tomorrow for UFC 267. That's why we're taping on Sunday. You're obviously traveling to South Florida for the PFL. Um, but no pay-per-view Dollars this weekend, Kenflo. UFC 267 live on ESPN Plus, wall to wall. Not too bad. Feels like a, feels like a pretty big deal. Yeah, man, for sure. I mean, we got uh, two big cards this week, so uh, I'm excited. What, what are we doing? This on the planes? I'm kind of going to South Florida. You're flying right over me to uh, Abu Dhabi. Is that yeah, what's happening? Yeah. So your fight, your fight card is Wednesday night. Is that Wednesday night, dude? Yeah. How about that? Yeah. Wednesday night's all right for fighting. So when do you come to uh, beautiful South Florida? Gorgeous down here right now, by the way. Yeah, tomorrow evening. Tomorrow right. evening. Yeah. All right. Well, I will. Yes, I will be. I'm going to Chicago and then Abu Dhabi, and uh, it's on. All right. A lot to get to today. As usual, we will recap what was an outstanding main event between Marvin Vittori and Paolo Costa. Both of you gentlemen have um, my ultimate respect. So we'll get into all of that stuff. Um, Ray Longo will join us. Uh, GM3, Gerald Merchardt, scheduled to join us as well. Uh, he's an outstanding MMA mind in addition to a credentialed UFC middleweight, and he has seven predictions. I'm making you guys pick seven fights, right? Literally hours after Costa Vittori. What a dick. What I need bit. points, though, so I, I need everything I get. I'm either going to lose big or win by a little. So. There you go. All right, shout out off the top of the show. Yeah, I got to update the standings. We're just totally lost. We need a new intern. Anik Florian Podcast at gmail.com if you want to be our new intern. Casey Williams quit. I love you, Casey. All right. <laughs> so real quick off the top of the show, PFL October 27th. I want to shout out my man, Nasty Nate. Nate Williams on Instagram, you can find him, nasty underscore Nate MMA. He listens to this show every week. I don't know if that includes this fight week, but he I listens every week. Ken Flo's calling his fight in three days. He's won four or five, and on paper, this looks to be as big as any fight in his career. He's fighting UFC veteran Don Madge. Madge, by the way, an interesting story. He was 2-0 in the UFC, had yeah. like four fights canceled, visa issues, COVID, whatever else, sort of putting the reset button on his career, chasing the million-dollar prize. But uh, Don Madge and Nasty Nate. So if you see Nasty Nate, I mean, I don't know if you have any uh, 
podcast t-shirts lying around. We I know we got we got to get them some stuff, man. That's awesome. I'm excited for him, man. It's a uh, a big fight. You know, these are guys that are trying to fight their way into the next PFL season. So, um, you know, Don and Nasty Nate got to go at it. So, uh, should be a great fight, man. Will you be able to call the fight objectively now, knowing that Nasty Nate <laughs> is a huge fan? Ah, uh, I mean. I don't know. I, I, what I'm going to do is just every time I I, I I call out, you know, something to do with Nasty Nate, I'll be like, Anakin Florian podcast fan, I'm Nasty you, Nate Williams. I'm telling you. Yeah. yeah. What's interesting is that I have never even come close to shouting out our podcast on, on any sort of UFC platform right. for fear of getting fired. Right. Uh, <laughs> but remember, the show gets shouted out all the goddamn time. They've been around for a year. We're coming up on seven, but it is what it is. Yeah. All right. Marvin Vittori is the talk of the town. He is sort of getting adoration and adulation from everybody in the MMA world, and rightfully so, not just because he beat Paolo Costa, but he beat him at light heavyweight. Uh, Clearly, there were times when I was watching these gentlemen compete where it looked as though Marvin Vittori had prepared himself nice mug, by the way, of course, to make 185 pounds. Like Dominic Cruz talks a lot about clear intentions in life, and to me, Paolo Costa had a clear intention that he was not going to make middleweight when he showed up in Las Vegas. Yeah, I agree, man. Listen, I I think um, especially given that there is no penalty um, or an additional penalty for coming in, you know, 20 pounds overweight, 15 pounds overweight, 10 pounds, you know, not all weight misses are created equal, right? Right. Uh, None of them are enjoyed uh, or appreciated, but, there's a difference between a half a pound miss and now just going up a weight class, right? Yeah. So, and, and these are a couple misses by uh, Paulo Costa. So clearly he didn't give a, an F. Um, and, you know, like you said, for Marvin Vittori, he didn't have to take this fight. I think there were a lot of people on the card who probably would have said, or on the roster, who would have said, no, I'm not taking this fight. This is not cool. I, I, I'm a 185-pounder. Right. And I'm not going to fight you in another weight class. I, otherwise, I would have just fought somebody else. And, you know, that that's bullshit. And for, for Vittori to go and say, all right, I'll fight you at 195. All right, I'll fight you at 205. Who cares? I just want to go out there and kick your ass and go out there and do it um, is, is really impressive. Um, and he should be applauded. I don't think a lot of people would have been down for that mess and for that for those psychological yeah, games. Right. So, uh, absolutely, uh, you know, Vittori came out of this looking very, very good. Simon Head, the fine MMA journalist across the pond, sort of wondered aloud on Twitter, like, how many middleweights survive that Paolo Costa power and authority, right? I mean, we all on our all-time great chin list had a spot for Marvin Vittori even before this fight. Like, right Right. now, if you ask me to, you know, top 10 chins in the UFC, I mean, dude's got a brick on top of his shoulders, but – Man, like so much respect for Vittori. I mean, I thought it was a close fight, 48-46 times yeah. three. What did you think of the fight? Yeah, no, I thought it was a close fight as well. I, I thought, you know, for Vittori, he was landing a lot of shots. He was putting together some good combinations. He was aggressive. He was backing up Costa. I just thought when Costa was throwing shots, it was clear he carried more power in his strikes, especially, you know, that right kick going upstairs against the Southpaw Vittori. My goodness, what a weapon that was throughout the fight. He ate a lot of those clean on the chin. He ate a lot of those on the form. I'm surprised that Vittori's arm is not broken. I'm sure it's compromised in some way, shape, or form today. But, uh, man, those shots that he was taking to the chin, to the body, I'm just so impressed at how 
damn tough Vittori is. That would have taken out a lot of dudes. I should have known better. But here's the thing. I knew that Costa was going to land shots, and I said, you know, there's very few people that can take a clean shot or a clean series of shots from Paulo Costa and survive. Vittori happens to be one of those few guys Man. on the planet who could do it. Yeah, I mean, you hit on a lot of truths. You know, Paulo Costa showed me a lot of things over 25 minutes. You know, this was his first opportunity because the Adesanya fight was so short uh, to really prove to people that he could go 25 minutes. I think he proved a lot of things in terms of uh, his ability to bite down on the gum shield in the Yoel Romero fight, you know. But sure. I don't know. I I'm not going to sit here and commend him, right, because, you know, Ken Flo is going to die when he's 79 years old instead of 84 because he made featherweight twice or three times. Just twice, right? Just twice. Twice, yeah. Yeah. Thank God, you know. It's like I almost wish you lost to Diego Nunes so you just shut it down there, right? But so Kenny's going to die when he's 79, folks, and not 84 um, because of that final weight cut against Jose Al. right? So, like, I'm not sitting here trying to – make this about Paulo Costa. And I got plenty, right. plenty more nice stuff to say about Vittori on the other side. But what did Paulo Costa show you here in defeat? Listen, he, he did show his toughness. And we saw it before, as you mentioned, against Yo Romero. We saw his toughness when he was eating those leg uh, kicks against Adesanya. You know, I think a lot of people would have probably bowed down to that as well. But, you know, we knew he was tough. I, I think that he has a willingness to want to go out there and entertain and be involved in exciting fights. And for that, you know, the UFC should be happy with that. It, it, he put on an awesome fight against a, a top-tier fighter in Vittori. Um, and, and for that, he should be applauded. But again, it, it is difficult to go out there and give him a lot of pats on his back knowing what he did this week, you know, no and doubt. it was just, no it's silliness. You know, if you want to be a professional fighter and you want to be respected as a professional fighter, you have to come in at weight and, well, right. you know, the games are coming in at 195 and then, okay, let's just do 205. And again, part of that was probably because of the UFC. I know, you know, Dana mentioned he doesn't like those catch weight fights. And so let's just make it at 205 pounds. But nonetheless, uh, it, it, he came off looking very bad. The good thing is that he did go the distance. He did entertain. He, he, he made an exciting fight by throwing those shots and really trying to finish. But he's got he's got some, um, you know, damage control to do uh, moving forward. And I do think it's a discipline issue in some respects, right? Like I don't have to be embedded in his training camp to know that there's some discipline issue there. And Dana White seemed to intimate intimate at the post-fight press conference that uh, his future is going to be at light heavyweight. And that's exactly where it should be in the UFC. And what an injection into the top 10 in that division. You know, it's great. Well, it's not like he's a chubby uh, 205, you know, he's yeah. lean. I mean, he yeah. came in super, super lean and there's some massive 205 pounders out there. Right. But, um, the, the fact that, uh, he's still pretty lean and carries a lot of muscle at 205 pounds. Yeah. I, I think it's probably the good thing, you know, the right thing to do moving forward, unless there's some kind of weight check or weight measurement that he has to meet leading up to a fight or something like that. But, you know, even then it's like, well, why is the UFC going to do that? They should just trust that a fighter is going to be able to make weight. But again, it, it wasn't a good sign that he wasn't even close to making 185 pounds.
Our producer here in our private chat, Cody Merrow, asks if Paulo Costa is a top 10 UFC light heavyweight. You know, I'm sitting here matchmaking in my head like Paulo and Yuri Prohaska locked the door behind him. I mean, there's so many intriguing matchups, you know. Yeah. But yeah, size-wise, right, with, with the Johnny Walkers and Dominic Reyes of, of the world, he's not going to be uh, this towering force. But right. man, he's going to be cutting down from 238 or something. Right. Um do you think Paulo Costa right now, I mean, without having the benefit of the top 10 in front of you, is a top 10 UFC light heavyweight? It's possible. It's possible. And I'll say this. Because of the reason that, you know, the light heavyweight division isn't at its strongest right now, in right. my opinion, right? Um, so do I think that he can go out there and beat some guys in that top 10? Yes. Is that a decision he should make? I don't think so. I, I think it comes down to discipline or, or – Again, maybe he's just that big. I don't know. But I don't see him having long-term success at 205 pounds. And for that reason, I, I don't think it's the best choice moving forward because of those guys that you mentioned. I mean, look at the guys who are in the main event coming up, you know, with Glover Teixeira, uh, you know, and and uh, I'm like, why am I blanking? Uh, uh, uh Yeah, Bohovic. Yeah. Um, you know, it, th those guys are massive. What's the goal, right? Because there are a lot of prize fighters out there that don't have championship aspirations necessarily. And sometimes maybe there's an ebb and flow with the championship aspirations, depending on where you are in your career. You know, Marvin Vittori is a good example. Like right now, with two head-to-head -head losses against Israel Adesanya, he's just got to try to add tough guys and those scalps to his resume as best he can. You know, what is the clear intention of Paulo Costa, right? Because if you are hell-bent on being a UFC champion. Obviously, 185 pounds is going to be the best course of action for that. And I right. think to a man, his coaches would agree. So, But if the goal is to just be involved in big fights, um, then why kill yourself, you know? Uh, listen, I think it's a great point. I, I do, though, think that for every professional fighter who's competing at a high level, who is preparing for fights, I do think it's essential to have in the back of your mind at the very least that your goal is to become a champion in the sport. I, I think it becomes dangerous in your preparation and in your vision as a fighter to not have that because that's when you might not give 100% in training or, sure. you know, but clearly he didn't care enough or didn't prepare enough to come in at 185 pounds. So, it's a great point, and if he, if that's going to be the case with someone like Paulo Costa, then yeah, fight at two hundred five pounds. You know, yeah. fight at two hundred five pounds. Pick the right fights, make your money, and I don't know. And I love Paulo Costa as an individual. I really do. We've had uh, great interactions with him in our fighter meetings, but I hope Dana White takes it out of his hands, honestly, right? Because. I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's the broadcaster in me. Just, you're dealing with all these channels. What are we doing here? You know, it's like got every yeah. single middleweight utterance we got on tape. We got to go revoice because, you know, this guy, like, I don't know. It's just, there's a lot of different layers to it. But yeah. I do think promotionally for me, if I was the promoter um, from what I have seen and how tough some of those cuts have been um, and what I perceive to be a lack of discipline, I would make him move up to uh, 205 pounds as respectfully as I can say that. And I guess real quick on Vittori, I mean, what do you, what do, you do with Marvin with the head-to-head -head losses against uh against Israel Adesanya I guess you just find the biggest possible name at 85 I mean this obviously moves him up the rankings you know I think selectively there are fights he could probably take at 205 that could be a main event big fight type deal but um I don't know any name on the tip of your tongue 
Cannoneer and Brunson are fighting. Whitaker right. and Adesanya are fighting. I mean, Kelvin Gastelum is kind of a name that comes to mind uh, at 185 pounds. But and, and I know there, there's talk about Kelvin potentially going back down to welterweight. But you know, he's in a similar spot in that you're talking about elite guys in a division uh, who may not get a shot for at least a long time or until there's some kind of champion change, right? I, and I don't see that for Adesanya for a long time. I see him holding the belt for a long time. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, was Rafael Cordero, I don't believe he was in Marvin Vittori's corner, and Kelvin Gastelum is actually moving back to Arizona, yes. but they have been Kings MMA teammates in the past. I oh, don't right. think that they would necessarily turn their nose up at fighting each other, but they're pretty close, but I do know that's, that Gastelum is moving to Arizona, and he has, I, I think would he's assume, moved to Arizona, yeah. Yeah, and I would assume that Rafael Cordero will still be a part of what Gastelum is doing, but he's leaning yes. on those NeuroForce One guys and Cejudo's team and uh, yep. Eddie Cha and Santino DeFranco. But, yeah, I mean, who knows, right? I mean, Vittori doesn't strike me as the guy who would, uh, you know, he fight basically everybody except his mom, but you never know. Um, but right. not an obvious fight, I guess, is the st- That's true. Yeah, that- no, exactly. He's in a similar situation to what Donald Cerrone was in, in back in the day, you know, uh, when he was trying to win the belt at 155 pounds, where, you know, just couldn't make it. I was in a kind of a similar situation yeah. as well, which is why I went down to 145, right? So it, it, it's tough being in that situation. But what you can do is at least try to get in, get on as many main events as you can for the UFC, make as much money as you can. Uh, and, and see if there's a potential, you know, shot for you with, with the champion change or maybe uh, proving yourself with a bunch of consecutive wins yet again. Who knows? Yeah. My brain is just bouncing all over the place right now. Uh, and it, it's not because I'm stoned, but I guess I'm wondering in terms of this other topic, um, you know, how many happy to be there's do you think there actually are on the UFC roster, right? Fighters who legitimately have no championship aspiration, right? That the goal initially was maybe to lose weight or get in shape. And one thing led to another. And now they find themselves as professional fighters in the UFC getting in on short notice or otherwise. I'm just curious on a roster of 700 or so, how many of them have no championship aspirations, but you don't need to answer that. Um, I need to focus on the task at hand. I'm going to skip over the co-main event between Grant Dawson and Ricky Glenn right now, because I want to shout out Miami, Florida's Alex Bruce, Leroy Caceres. I've told this story before, Ken Flo, but, you know, back in the day, I mean, I think Manila with Brian Stan, he lost a fight quickly, I think, to Francisco Rivera, falls to one and two maybe in the UFC, thought he was going to get cut, you know. He's got 20-plus UFC fights, five consecutive wins. Sung Woo Choi is all the goddamn rage going into this fight. Illegal knee. And by the way, Jason Herzog is the only referee or official in any sport that I actually tune in to fucking watch. So shout out to Jason Herzog. Um, but dude, how about Alex Caceres and how about submission offense still playing a playing a role in modern day mixed martial arts? Yeah, I, I, I loved it. Listen, um, he's a guy that, I, you know, I, I'm sure that a lot of people underestimate. I, I think I do as well. Uh, I've trained with Caceres way back in the day when he was uh, visiting TriStar and stuff. And, you know, the improvements that he's made in his game is significant. Uh, he clearly still wants to go out there and, and fight hard, and he's still training hard. And he was in trouble there. I mean, he was hurt before that knee. And then yep. let's talk about the illegal knee. I think there's a lot of guys, especially when you've been fighting a long time, like an Alex Caceres, that would have looked for a way out after that incident. And he certainly could have done that. And I think yep. very few people would have argued he was hurt. He was hurt prior to that knee. And he clearly was rocked after that knee, right? I mean, he was still not with it. He decided to, you know, Stay in there. And I said, oh, man, this is not a good this is not a good thing. And then Herzog being 
the best referee that he is, went yeah. and took away a point, which was the right call. There was no warning there. That that was something that changed the way the fight was going, and it was the right call. And Caceres decided to keep on fighting and found a way to win. It was a beautiful little duck under. He kind of slipped the punch, jumped on the back, took advantage, man. It, it, was, uh, it was a really impressive win, and it surprised me. And I, I love seeing that. I love seeing underdogs win. Caceres was certainly that here. And uh, I, I thought it was an awesome performance, man. He, he did a great job of adjusting and getting the win. Yeah, just don't fade Alex Caceres. Like, that's the gambling advice for today. Just don't walk up to the window and bet against Dude. him, right? Because I love Sung Woo Choi, and I think he'll be back. And again, this is valuable experience accrued for him in defeat. But Alex Caceres is as close to contendership as he has ever been before. And improbable doesn't even begin to describe it. And you're right. You know, it's rooted in a work ethic, you know, and veganism probably to whatever degree, you know. But this dude, like, he works fucking hard. You know what's funny? Before the fight, I said, you know, Alex has a much better submission game, a much better ground game, um, you know, than Choi. But I, I don't know if he has the wrestling or the size to take him down. Well, yeah. Hey, Kenny, he didn't have to take him there down. He go. just jumped right. on his back and yeah. submitted him from there. It was, it was pretty cool, man. Great instincts. And while I did like Jason Herzog taking a point here, what would you think about the point deduction in the main event for uh, for the eye poke? You know, I mean, so go ahead. So I like the fact that um, he's kind of definitive in that. It's almost like he, he, he watches for certain things like that, and the hands were open. He, he had warned him before then. The problem with the actual eye poke is that Vittori kind of knocked his hand away. Like he was going to block, which actually assisted the eye poke. So the intention, uh, while he did have his hands open, which is not cool, you're not supposed to uh, to do, he wasn't intentionally trying to do it. He was kind of trying to throw a kick. So as he was throwing the kick, he was opening his hand out. And it was Vittori who went to kind of block that initial hand, it looked like, and guided it right into his own hand. So uh, it was a tricky one, but I, I, here's the thing. Herzog is consistent. He's consistent with what, you, with, with what he's doing. He had warned uh, Costa before that of keeping those hands open. And, um, you know, it was unfortunate for Costa, but perhaps it was the right thing to do. Yeah, I mean, my sort of Mark Ratner angle on it, right, and he is our UFC Hall of Famer and Vice President of Regulatory Affairs, is that as far as he's concerned, the first warning happens in the locker room. So you are well within your right to, yep. without a second warning in the octagon, go ahead and take a point. So in this instance, um, with respect to my man, Jason Herzog, who right now I think is the best referee in mixed martial arts. Um, and certainly, you know, I think there might be some as good. I don't know that there are any to a man uh, better. Um, I probably wouldn't have taken a point there, but uh, that's why I'm not a referee, you know, uh, and it didn't factor in 48, 46 times three. Um, so it didn't factor in the scoring. Uh, you know, it also has an effect that goes beyond the fights as well, John, in that if I'm a fighter and I'm watching that and I'm seeing a Jason Herzog ref or maybe other referees are starting to take that approach, I am definitely going to think twice about keeping my hands open while I fight. So I think what yeah. it does do is it gets rid of a lot of the silliness that we see when we see eye pokes, right? Because how many fights have we seen either compromised or stopped because of an eye poke? And that's a very dangerous thing. These are people that are either getting detached retinas or, you know, cornea scratches or, you know, could even lose vision because of these eye pokes. You know, there's some big guys out there that are throwing strikes and 
you know, eyes can get damaged. And if your eyes are damaged, it could end your career, you know. And I, I kind of I kind of like that from Herzog, I, you know. And I think other referees are going to start to follow suit. Yeah. And I think it will trickle down uh, to some of the other fighters in fight camps to say, hey, listen, we need to stop the framing of the hand. We need to be very careful when we do that, when we strike, when we when we grapple. I like that. You you got me convinced. That makes a lot of sense. We're not going to have a conversation about gloves, I promise, uh, today. <laughs> but uh, we got to do something about these gloves. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So Grant Dawson and Ricky Glenn fight to a majority draw in the co-main event. 29-28 for Dawson on one card, Sal D'Amato. And then Chris Lee had it 28-28, as did the third judge, whose name is escaping me right now. So... You and I spoke about this before the show. Don't really have a huge issue with the scorecards because, as we have said repeatedly ad nauseum on these airwaves, judges are encouraged to be more liberal with their 10-8s. And if you read the scoring, the new scoring, um, you don't have to totally dominate a round uh, to even get a 10-8, right? So I'm okay. I guess Sal Diamato and Chris Lee, with all of their respective experience, I guess I wish they would be aligned in this instance, and they are yeah. not. Um but obviously, Ricky Glenn, Glenn is game as hell, and Grant Dawson knew he would be. And, uh, you know, I think in a lot of respects, Grant Dawson, who James Krause said fought the best fight of his career, um, is thankful to get out of there and move on to the next. You know, Ricky Glenn's a tough mother. He really is, man. Um, and here, here's why I don't really have a, a major problem with the fight. Listen, I thought the first two rounds were pretty clear for Grant Dawson. I thought those were 10-9s. That last round absolutely could have been a 10-8 for Ricky. Yep. Considering the fact, also when you add in the fact that he kind of finished that fight at the very end. If there was another five seconds, and I know I don't want to, what it could have should, as no one likes that, but there's no question that Grant Dawson was in that choke and was basically choked out. Um, he could not get back to his feet um, within about five to ten seconds after that round. Ended up getting up. Uh, James Krause kind of came in, lifted him up, pat him on his back, revived him a little bit, right, but right. he wasn't all the way there. So. It was a dominant round in that third round for Ricky Glenn. He was beating up Grant Dawson pretty bad uh, in, in round three. Had that finishing move to end that round. So, um, yeah, I, I thought it was the right call. I think Grant Dawson and Ricky Glenn are going to learn a lot from that fight. I thought Ricky made some awesome adjustments in round three in stopping those takedowns. He was getting better and timing those um, defenses to the to the double leg and single leg. Um, and you know, didn't do enough in round two, in my opinion, but I thought it was an awesome fight between two guys who always bring it. James Krause is going to be on the show next week. And again, like I'm watching this as a fan, right? Like just because I work for the UFC doesn't mean that I'm a mixed martial arts expert, but when I look at Grant Dawson and, and I look at his game, um, not unlike when I was talking about Justin Flores the other week, like I immediately think you got to get with Ken Flo, man, and like really focus on offensive. Hey, oh, <laughs> oh Jesus, Mary and Joseph, <laughs> scary in the morning. Man, you were on the roll. Keep going, buddy. Well, well no, they I already accused me of interrupting you, and I didn't even say anything, and I interrupted <laughs> you. So when Mackenzie Dern, and it's great to see Raymond Peter Longo, the star of the show, can you fucking put yourself in the center of the camera, though? I mean, <laughs> you know you know how to do that. You, you no, mean, I don't. I, I, def face I, de right now. I, I definitely do not know. Don't give me that much credit. All right, well, to the right side of your face. Yeah, that's oh, – right. How's that, better? Better for the audio people than the video people, right? <laughs> 
I was just saying, and then we'll have some fun. But Mackenzie Dern, I when I throw out a suggestion like go see Justin Flores or Daryl Christian, right? I'm just a fan thinking. So when I watch Grant Dawson, I'm thinking like if this guy's taking you down at all costs and that is going to be how he wins a UFC championship, that he needs to have the best submissions in the game. So I'm going to Charlotte, North Carolina, to Ken Flo's residence, and I'm locking myself up for a couple of weeks. Or I'm going to see Ryan Hall. I don't know. You know, that was my thought watching that fight, Ken Flo. Yeah, yeah. I, I think he could have done a little bit more uh, positionally, right, and take advantage of some of those positions. It, it's a work in progress, you know. There, there's always going to be weaknesses and things, and sometimes you don't know until you get out there. Sometimes you feel great or you look great uh, in practice, and then when you go out in a fight, you go, "Oh, geez, you know that that's something I hadn't seen before. Or that's kind of a weakness that has been revealed." And uh, you only find out after a fight. So I'm sure, I hope that, you know, Grant and James Krause and his team are going to be working on that, whether, you know, he stays there or, or, or seeks out other help. Uh, I'm sure he's he's going to do that. And uh, I think, as you mentioned, I, I agree with you. I think that was one of the weaknesses in his game. He had his opportunities, uh, just wasn't able to, you know, seal the deal with some of those takedowns and positions. And that How point. about that? Kemflo agree with me a little bit there. Take, hey, and I don't even necessarily know the bodies that he's working with. You <laughs> oh, know? He's, I just, he's hyped up today. Oh, I am hyped up. Hey, thank you, Ray. You oh. know, because honestly, man, seriously, yeah. like, you know, if Cody's the lifeblood of the show, like you're yeah. the guy we can't really do the show without, at least as far as our viewers are concerned. So the fact that you're making 30 minutes for us on a Sunday morning and adjusting you your day to whatever degree, I appreciate that. And you would think that, uh, I would have the link to the show when I arrive, <laughs> so I get in there. But no, I mean the, the link. How hard is that? The link. Well, I'm I over know. here living in fear of Matt Sarah coming after uh, me with our text thread last night. You, you know, you, you're in trouble. I I haven't even started on you. You what'd you what'd you do to that poor guy? You try you you think nobody knows it's him because you put a couple of tattoos on him. Well, it's actually Mike <laughs> Perry. So, uh, oh, is it so actually Mike know. Perry? No, it's not. No, it's not. No, definitely I mean, not. You guys tell them like inside jokes, like yeah, inside go, jokes. No, that's now, what you're talking and about. And now for me, am I am in the one chair? So now I'm gonna set up. What the fuck, you guys? Wait, let me, let me, wait, let me just read. Let me backtrack to Dawson. I mean, God forbid he goes to Sarah Jiu Jitsu, who only has the best room in the fucking country at this point. But that's all right. Let him go to. Uh, <laughs> let, him, let him do whatever he wants to do. Uh so Cody he made go to Jitsu. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I think there are a lot of elite level jujitsu schools out there, and he could certainly uh, do a lot worse than going and aligning with Matt Sarah there. You know, I just said you got to deal with New Jersey and New York, and you know, I just go to Charlotte, North Carolina. The weather's a little right, nicer, right. people a little nicer. You know, that's a hundred percent true. Right, <laughs> and in but, terms of uh, your little side conversation there with Cody, so Cody designed these Ray Longo Fight Team T-shirts and sweatshirts. Cody, can you get them on anicflorenpodcast.com? I don't even know, but I got a Ray Longo fight team sweatshirt, right? <laughs> and so, like, I'm not wearing Matt Sarah gear. He's on a competing podcast that the UFC promotionally launched, <laughs> right? But I got Ray Longo fight team or Ray Longo minute I'll wear. So I have a Ray Longo fight team sweatshirt. And it looks like the guy who's hitting pads might be like a blown up tattooed Matt Sarah, but I guess it's not. Do I have that correct? I don't think you have to. I don't know. I really, I listen. I'll say this: all of those shirts. Did anybody run anything by me? Just out of curiosity. <laughs> no one's running really. by me, Cody. You got to chime in here. I mean, Cody. I mean, nobody's seeing. Have we ever right. even had a conversation? Yeah, the the legal offices of I already yeah. asked you. Oh. <laughs> oh, man, you get your checks, right? Your checks got Ray. The best checks you've ever gotten are the ones from the merch. Am I wrong? 
in the five years wait, of being wait, on wait, this podcast. Say, repeat that again. Did you say check? <laughs> no, no, that was, I heard that. Okay. Did the sure. word checks just come out of your mouth? <laughs> yeah. I got checks. Well, hey. you will. You will have checks. No, I got to come on. Oh, now. no, no. I will have, will have oh, checks. I didn't have them already. You UFC, MSG. Ray Longo is going to be taking over Manhattan. That's what I hear is going I got to say. You know, it's funny. I My phone was blown up last week. And Al, I call, I see Al. And I, I go, what's up? He goes, oh, my God. The shirt. And I go, what are you talking about? I look, uh-huh. he sends me this thing of a tattooed. <laughs> I go, no, they're not selling those. I go, they're not selling those. He goes, I just bought two of them. What are you talking about? <laughs> I don't know who to, and I'm like, I go, are you are you sure? He goes, oh. I walk into the gym. Steve Lee bought two of them. I'm like, this son of a bitch. You got to be kidding me. Well, hey, happy birthday to Steve Lee as well. Oh, yeah, well, that's, oh, that's called that's called diversion. Holy shit. He went right to Steve Lee. <laughs> I say, happy though. birthday. But he's right, though. Happy birthday to Steve Lee. The man, the myth. The man again, yeah, I guess. No, Steve Lee's the man. But man, but happy it, birthday, Steve! Though, yeah. Like to see all of the guys that you train, and to see how much love and respect they have for you. Matt Frivola wearing a Longo T-shirt literally seven days a week, right? Never knew it existed. You know, like it's just amazing <laughs> that I don't. I right, a lot of these designs. I guess some of them are up on AnnaFlorenPodcast.com yeah. right now. I think AF10 oh. is like the promo code. I think Longo works right now as a promo code. We did not intend to sell merchandise today, but. Your stuff's all over the place, and if people are wearing it at Madison Square Garden, you know, then maybe your Christmas bones be a little fatter than a boy's. Right. That's, that's what I'm talking. Ten cents a t-shirt. Ten cents a t-shirt. Right. Don't there's, knock. A, there's there's an appropriate way to use the term fatter, and I think you just did. That's good. That's good. <laughs> My wife's like, wait, did you what what did you give Longo for Christmas last year? And then I told her, and she's like, oh, no, God, don't please don't embarrass, don't embarrass me on public TV, please. <laughs> <laughs> No, you're getting uh no, we're gonna try to fatten it up. Uh yeah. we're gonna really try to make it a fat Christmas bone. So I do I have it's gonna be a fat oh, steak dinner. That's, That's what I'm right. thinking. I'm liking this Wolfgang's next week. I'm liking this Sunday morning so far, Kenny. I love it. <laughs> I'm excited to see you next Sunday or Monday. Uh what are you doing? You coming in early? I might have a special uh dinner arrangement for you. What do you oh, think? Yeah, great. Yeah, we'll connect off the air on that. But uh, yeah. so I have a few items for you today. And Ken Flo, feel free to chime in. Uh, okay. And remind me, guys, I do want to get championship fight predictions from Ray on Jan Blachowicz, Glover Teixeira, and uh, and Piotr Jan, Corey Sandhagen. But Ally Quinta's Wikipedia page says that he resides in Seaford, New York, which obviously I got Seaford, New York blood. My dad went to Seaford High School. Does he live in Seaford? No. No, he's actually okay. in Merrick. He's, he's got a beautiful house on the water in Merrick, which is okay. – uh, yeah, Superb. more expensive. Yeah, probably. Oh, um, I would think so. Yeah. All right. So if that's if the house isn't expensive. The yacht in the backyard certainly is right. unbelievable. <laughs> All right. So last fight for Raging Ally Quinta was in 2019, I believe. UFC 243 against Dan Hooker. Um, he's fighting Bobby Green at Madison Square Garden uh, in less than two weeks. Yeah. How about that? That's a big How's one. Yeah. Talk to me. I mean, give me I something about that. Give me something I think, on now. Things are going good. It's I really respect Bobby Green a lot. Obviously, durable, tough guy. Loved the way he fought <clears throat> the last fight against uh, Fazeev. I'm sure I'm pronouncing his name wrong, but uh, nope, not all right. Oh, cool. Uh, but yeah, so we're in. I think we're in for a war, I, I, and I and I love it. And I think he's ready to go. All right. 
I love how close to the vest you are. <laughs> I need to almost go investigative journalists and ask more specific questions. You know, how much does Al spar compared to, say, Dominic Cruz, who has to spar multiple times a week for several months to feel ready to fight? Is that a fair question? Several, define several, two or three. I guess uh, three. I think I think uh, he spars twice a week. All right, so he still goes pretty three. hard. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That's good. All right. Well, there's a little detail for our Anakin Florian podcast yeah, audience. Hey, so that's about, All right. That's where that's going to end. But that's good. But yeah, he's looking looking good. Always love working with him. All right. Next thing. It looked as though you and Chris Weidman were were reunited uh, over the weekend in New York. <laughs> Do I have that right? That is correct. <laughs> that was in New Jersey, but we were reunited. Yeah. Were you able to ask him how his leg is doing by chance? I mean, do you have anything resembling news for us on Chris White? <laughs> yeah. He kept me up till six in the morning where I almost couldn't corner the next night. Yeah, I have that news. Huh, really? Uh, he's what were, uh, he's what relent- you guys doing? But his, his leg is great. It looks like anyway, he went to uh, Medellin, Colombia. He had the yes. stem cells oh, and good. stuff. So, uh, He's happy about that. He's, they said it's going to take about six months, but you might go through like a honeymoon phase uh, where you feel good in a couple of weeks. And I think he's in that honeymoon phase, he thinks, because he feels pretty good. He's walking around. Was uh, <clears throat> He wanted to wrestle, do jujitsu with a lot of people there. He was trying to organize that. I don't know if that ever went down, but uh, it looks like he's uh, he's he looks like he's doing good, you know. Kenny, uh, I know TJ Dillashaw is also going to that city in Columbia here uh, soon to get some work. Did Ray pronounce it correctly, by the way? Medellin. 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 But, uh, yeah, no, I've been a little bit more curious about that place as well. A lot of people going to Panama, a lot of people going to Columbia uh, because they can kind of do the latest and greatest when it comes to stem cells. So I was – kind of inquiring about that for my back but uh yeah more and more people are are going there i think dean thomas said he just went over there too oh really recently but um no he yeah, went over I, I, yeah, he I'll, went over i'm sorry dean. <laughs> uh and chris and chris by the way i had no idea chris is like 30 minutes from me by the way he's writing like over the border in south carolina so i i had no idea yeah, yeah right over the border yeah how about that so, um, so what, what were you guys staying up till 6am? Were you guys drinking? Or uh, just having we fun? Had, no, we had a couple of drinks. We had a good, we had a good group. We had nobody seen each other in a while. So it was right. uh, one of those oh, nights, <clears throat> but, um, I'm not trying to pry into your business, you know, that's no, good. no, it's um, fun. My I saw business is your business. Yes, well, he is. Yes, he I is. saw he Dennis is. Bazooka get belted over the weekend. Is that, is he a ring of combat champion now? Yes, we had we had uh, already, I guess. Defending. Yeah, we had six fights. We went three and three. Um, I think that what I love more than anything that everybody really fought their hearts out. I mean, even some. Uh, I thought we had a kid, Christian Alcala, didn't have. You know, I thought he lost the last fight, but he still was close. This fight, I thought he won, but he didn't get the nod. But he fought like a different person from the last fight. And as a coach, that's all you could ask for. Uh, you know, Lauren had a tough fight. Uh, but she hadn't fought in a bunch of years, so she'll get back on track. Dylan Montello was a surprise to me, but he's going to make the adjustments. That was a tough one. And then uh, James Gonzalez and uh, Bazooka and um, Nas, Damian, Nas. No, Nas didn't fight this weekend. Oh. And Damian Nelson all did 
really, really good. I mean, it really was a, just a great night of energy and fights for the team. Everybody did did great. So, so in terms uh, of your energy week to week, and I don't oh. know if you'll answer me, your energy with complete veracity here. Um, but like, do you still get uh, the butterflies in the good sense? Like, does every fight night still get you going um, the way it did back in the day? I'm going to say, yeah. I mean, I'm going to say the day that that doesn't happen, I I will quit. The day I don't feel those butterflies or I'm not in the bathroom five times before the fight, I, I'll right. probably, I, I, I will quit. I, 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 I can sincerely say that. So there's nothing like it. Right. I mean, obviously wow. I can't speak to it except for once in a fraternity tough man competition where I got to walk out and fight a man three, three, two minute rounds or with lacrosse helmets and gloves or whatever. But Kenny, like for you cornering, right. I'd imagine like there's nothing like it, right. Like it's still like the greatest buzz in the world, even like cornering a guy. Right. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Cause you know, especially, you know, you know how much they've worked, you know, how hard uh, they, they've been working for years. Right. And, um, and so much comes down to it. I mean, it, it, it's such an important ev event and, and, and a professional fighter's, uh, life, uh, it, it matters so much. And, and having been there, you know, uh, you, you can feel it. And I think it's even more difficult when you're not fighting because you don't have that same control in, in some ways. So yeah, yeah, man, it's, it's huge. And, and even John in the UFC, every fight to me is really a championship fight. You know what I mean? And it's, uh, that's what I love about the UFC. They do a great job with really an event is an event. You know right. what I mean? It doesn't have to be a championship right, fight. Right. These guys are fight. It's really individual, but every every fight is it takes on the takes on the vibe of a championship fight. And these local fights sometimes are even better. You're more invested, you know, because it's intimate. They have their families there. Like you know, Bazooka's got great parents. I always love seeing them. You just want it to go right. It's a different thing. It's not. You're not in a huge stadium with 20,000 people where you, you're not even seeing anybody. You're, you're talking to friends. You're talking to family. Um, I know most of the people's, you know, guys fighting. I know their parents or their siblings or something. So it's it's a different different type of pressure, man. It really is. So um, so many things can happen. Yeah, so many things. It's it's uh, and you're watching these guys grow, you know, and it's 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 really not easy because you know you got to try to keep them on track and you know. Everybody at that stage of the game, everybody's getting in their ear. You should do this. You should do that. It's not. It's not easy. It really isn't. But I, I believe for the guys that really listen, um, they're going to get exactly what they want out of this. When Chris Weidman fought Anderson Silva for the belt the first time in 2013, I believe, like, was your wife and or your daughters are they watching that fight live or no? 100. percent Your daughters are too. 100 percent that's great my wife normally goes to all the owls fights for some right. reason and she's i think you know what happens because i'm a little wacky with the uh superstition so right. god forbid she ever went to a fight and somebody lost sure you'll never see her at that fight again <laughs> so, so is she coming to madison square garden ally quince is on the, as, the, as of the right now no only because of the covid stuff and all that right. wacky you know so i'm not right. but she is vaccinated so We'll we'll figure that out, but I'm not I'm not really sure. But normally for Al, she's always there. She went to Australia with me for Al's fight. Um, yeah, you know, fell yeah. in love with Ross Pearson and his wife. We had right. We had breakfast with him. She had no idea Al was fighting him. You know, because she has no. She's not really following right. it like that. Right. So she's over there at the end. Oh, I wish you good luck yeah. tonight. Well, I stop it right there. We're not wishing. No, let's, come on, let's. 
take a break. He's fighting now. And then I, I tell Al she's rooting against you. It's, it's fun. But imagine yeah. though for his They're daughter like, carrying that Longo name, you know, and like some you meet some young male who's like a UFC fan. It's like, dude, your dad's the fucking punch a hole in his fucking chest guy. Like that's your dad, you know. Like I'm sure there will be an interaction like that. All right. Before we let you go, yeah, Piotr Jan, Corey Sandhagen. I know you're not going to tell me like who you want to win necessarily because Aljamain Sterling is going to defend his title against the winner of this fight. Um, but Corey Sandhagen is is a pretty big underdog here, and you what, don't what, think he should be. What's the odds? All right, I'll get you the number right now, Raymond. I'll get you the fucking number right now, plus 215. Oh, wow. Wow, that's pretty big, man. I Look, I think I always thought Corey Sandhagen was the dark horse in this whole thing, so I'm going to stick to that. I, I think I thought he won the last fight. That's debatable for sure. You know, I, I understand it was close, but um, more importantly, I think he thought he won for real, like not just bullshit, like, you know, like where you, you know you're lost and you're raising your hand, you know, before they announce the decision. He really thought he won. I thought he won. I think he's the guy to watch out for. I think he's got a style similar to Aljo's on uh, – well, it's different. I don't want to say that. He's got his own style. But he can keep it long, which I think is a problem for Jan. And um, I think uh, – yeah, I don't know. I, I think Sané can pulls off the upset. I just looked up the odds. It's now plus 190, so it has come down a little bit yeah. since I did this prep you know, a few days ago. So, yeah, all right. Well, we'll see how that plays out. And uh, real quick, what, what kind of chance are you giving Glover Teixeira against Jan Blachowicz? Uh, you got to love Glover Teixeira, no? Yeah. Every time you think he's out, he's back in. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Can I just say this and then I'll point, look? I love him. So, like again, you know, I I don't bet with who I I, I bet who I like. I like I love I love love his I think he's great for the sport. I love his comeback story. Uh, the odds I think are against him, but he's got a puncher's chance. He's so you give him a puncher's chance, and I would say Kenny, not unlike Caceres, like I would never go bet against Glover Teixeira. You know, there's so yeah. much fight in that dog. Like I would never go bet against him, even though I think Jan Blachowicz deserves uh, the distinction yeah. as a favorite. Without a doubt. Uh, thanks, man. Yeah. Hey, real quick, Rao furrowed today. You okay? You pissed at yeah. me or something? No, wow, what? <laughs> I all I felt was love this whole podcast. What I hope you? so. I mean, How I interpreting love. I Are you really, interpreting love as, as something else? I mean, I put you over several times. Love is in the air. Oh, sorry. I'm starting <laughs> to feel like terrible. Wait, hold on a second. Wait, let me just mention one thing. Yeah. I hate off to Marvin Vittori. I want to. Oh, please. I think I, you know, I think I was critical of him with the Adesanya fight. Like, but this guy, what a comeback. Even just the way he speaks. What, the balls he had to just say, I don't give a fuck what what weight you want to fight, what weight. I mean, when they were talking like 90, 92, he just didn't give a shit. But I just became a huge Marvin Vittori fan. I love the way he handled himself after the fight. I love the way he handled himself before the fight. Paulo Costa came in not even close to being on weight or having any sense of making the weight. What is he running around for? That See, that's the opposite side of the coin when – you didn't hold to anything, and you're acting like you're the man. Like it, it, something 100% wrong. But again, Vittori handled that thing like a true warrior. Uh, and hats off to him, man. Great fight. 100% won the fight. 
and just his attitude before, during, and after, I thought was phenomenal. So I'm on the, I, I became a big Marvin Vittori fan. And I'm glad you took the time to acknowledge Yeah, no, I, yeah, I think it needs, I'm sorry I'm interrupting you. No, again. because he's a promoter's dream and, yeah. uh, and Costa in many situations has not been. You know, right. uh, but, you know, to have a guy like Vittori right in your top five at middleweight for the UFC is huge. Um, yeah. All right. So what does the rest of your Sunday hold, Ray? Huh? What are running you doing now? Close this computer and I run out the door to the gym. Isn't that amazing? Right. We got, we got do things every day, I, don't know, so. I don't know if you've heard, John. We got things going on. That's right. <laughs> yeah. one, one other thing, too. When Chris came down, he came down with a, a Long Island kid who's now living in. North Carolina, Tom Lane, great kid. Oh, yeah, the Cal Poly yeah. kid, right? Yeah, yeah, the Cal Poly kid. So I want to give him a shout-out because he's a Long Island guy, trains with Jimmo, and, uh, you know, Chris came down uh, to help out, and I think uh, the kid won his first uh, pro fight. Good. So that's all. <clears throat> That's off to Tom Lane. He's a really nice kid. Yeah, so I, met him. I don't want to forget that either. So thank you. Yeah. Tom Lane's a good dude. Wrestled at Cal yeah. Poly. Uh hey man, thanks for checking in. Have a uh you know, great day, better evening, all that. And uh I will talk to you. Maybe maybe I'll come to uh to your gym and do the podcast Let's do it. on Monday, November first from your gym. I love that's that's a that's a right. done deal. Right. And I, right. I'm, I'm working. I am working on something special for you. I don't know if it'll materialize because right. it's, it's pretty big. All right. Wow. All right. Well, I'll wear all my Boston sports stuff and I'll see you next Monday. Don't hold grudges in New York. Bring it all down. <laughs> hey, it's no longer no longer baseball season in Boston, so I've been crying in my Cheerios for like. Yeah, bring a bring your Colton Fisk T-shirt and. Who was the guy that flubbed that ground ball at first base? Bring that. Uh, that was Bill Buckner, Ray. Yeah, Buck, Billy Bucks. Bring his glove. We'll have a catch. You'll yeah. probably get hit in the eye. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's all good, John. All right. Hey, hey, <laughs> uh, you might be going off the rails, Kenny. I don't know. Yeah, you, uh, always. Can we, a, uh, can we get a two shot here? You close Raymond out. And get a nice two shot. Thank you, Ray. Take it easy, guys. Uh, I'll we'll see you next week. The Ray Longo minute. Every week here on the Ank and Florian podcast, whether you like it or not. Also on most shows is the pronunciation of the week. As we welcome back on Cody Merrow. So I got three files to play today. Is that right, Cody? I have three files. Yes. Yes, sir. Okay. So the first one I'm going to ask you about. And then the second I'm really just for informing purposes going to play for our audience. Okay. So the first name is a lightweight. This is the hardest pronunciation card in UFC history, by the way. First name is a lightweight who competes in the second of 15 fights at UFC 267. And to show you how good this card is, he's 4-0 in the UFC, 23-1 overall out of Kazakhstan. Uh, and I probably couldn't pick him out of a lineup. I will be able to in about 24 hours. He'll face Magomed Mustafai of Saturday night, Cody Merrow, of whom am I speaking? So, you know, you're throwing me for a loop, too, because usually there's just one of these and I know exactly I know. who it is. And now I'm like, who is he talking about? I believe that this one is Demir Ismagulov. Yeah, you sounded good saying that. Demir Ismagulov. Baby, I, I watch all the cards, dude. I'm right. I'm right. not a stranger you to that. I might get hosed on the pronunciation of the week and thrown under the bus by Ray Longo. But damn, if I don't watch every card. You could pick. Demir is Magulov out of a lineup. So I commend probably, you on that. I probably couldn't, but that's all okay. right. So the other two names we have, right? One of these men is fighting Lee Jing Liang, right? He's one of the best prospects in the sport. His first name is Hamzat. 
And we're going to play you this file. And then we're also going to play the file for one of the best lightweights in the world. We probably said his name already. He's fighting Dan Hooker this weekend. So for informational purposes, uh, let's hear the name, Cody, of the guy who is fighting Li Jingliang. Okay, rolling. Hamzat Chimayo. Hamzat Borz Chimayo. One more. Hamzat Borz Chimayo. So the nickname's in there too, but Hamzat Chimayo, pretty straightforward. And then finally, uh, one of the best lightweights in the world, a guy many believe could be better than Khabib by career's end, which sounds pretty crazy, but uh, he's fighting Dan Hooker this weekend. Cody, let's hear Islam. You want me to say it or do you want him to say it? I would like to hear both. Okay, well, I think I've gotten hosed on this one before. I think I've lost this. So I no, think you it's... can't pronounce this name, bro. I love you like a brother, but you can't fucking pronounce this name. I can't Go pronounce ahead. Islam Makhachev. Wow. Islam Makhachev. What? <laughs> what? Well, this morning you, you just you didn't I do sandbagged well. you. That's what I did. You did. He sandbagged me this morning on something else we were taping. So apologies to that audience because he butchered it. Yes. Yes, can we hear one more time? You nailed it. Islam Mahachev. So when he slows it down, it, but it's Mahachev, right? Yeah. So not Makachev, right? Let's go. Cody, great job. Great job. All right, as all of you know by now, UFC 267 is live in Abu Dhabi this Saturday afternoon. And DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC, has a knockout offer for the light heavyweight title fight. New customers can bet just $5 on either fighter, Jan Bojovich or Glover Teixeira, and win $200 in free bets if that fighter wins. Will it be the Polish champ retaining his belt, or will the veteran from Brazil snatch it away and make his own history in the process? As for you, all you need to do, bet $5 on the UFC 267 main event and win $200 in free bets if your fighter wins. And one thing I can assure you, it's not like collecting winnings from like DC or your shady neighbor, Salvatore the bookie, right? DraftKings is safe, secure, reliable. You can deposit and withdraw 24-7 whenever you want. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code ANIC. Throw down just five beans on the UFC 267 main event and win $200 in free bets if your fighter wins. That's code ANIC, A-N-I-K, this Saturday at DraftKings Sportsbook, official sports betting partner of the UFC. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey only, new customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLING. All right. Time to make some picks. UFC 267, Wojovich versus Teixeira. Let's get to the main event challenge. It's the main event challenge. Annick. The time is most definitely Florian. I finished fights. I'm going to do everything possible to win. The main event challenge. The John Annick and Kenny Florian podcast. All right, now joining us for the first time. 13-time UFC veteran, one of the most decorated submission artists in UFC history. Gerald Mershart is with us. GM3 on a Sunday, man. Beard looks good. That's a handsome individual classing up the program. How's your Sunday, my man? Good to see you. Good to see you guys, too. I'm, I'm doing great. I can't complain. How are you guys doing? We're doing well. And, you know, I call you one of the most decorated submission artists in UFC history because you are right now in a six-way tie for sixth all-time in UFC history with seven submission wins. Ken Flo. You're right there in that tie with GM3, by the way. So he's got a lot of time left to sort of leave. You we got to slow him down. We got to slow him down. No. Gerald, take it easy, man. Take a fight every, you know, every every couple of years. You don't have to fight all the time, you know? It's just. Yeah, well, apparently I do have to fight all the time, and I got to fight Russians all the time now. So I'm going to try and get in there and submit everybody as fast as I can to move on to the next one. Damn it. 
So you got to the UFC in 2016 and you were 26 and eight at the time. Your pro debut was January 13th of 2007. You won with a choke. Wikipedia doesn't even list what type of choke, but I want to sort of take you to January of 2011. You submit Dallas O'Malley, you're 15 and four, seven straight wins at that point in your career. Like, do you think you're on Joe Silva's radar? Are you thinking about the UFC or is that not like at the forefront of your mind at that point in time, 10 years ago? Uh, I mean, I was hoping I was for sure. Um, I forget if it was before or after that, but around that time I had tried out for the ultimate fighter actually. And, you know, I didn't make it past the first couple of screenings or whatever they have. So nothing came of that, but you know, I figured I trained with enough UFC guys before I kind of had an idea where I was at at that time. I didn't think I was ready to make a run out of title, but I definitely think I could compete in the UFC. And it was one of those things where, you know, you put that much work into it already. Right. You can either just pack up your bags and go home and quit and get a, you know, regular job, or you can stick it out and, you know, make something happen. Right. Well, because I think when a lot of us were prepping you for the first time and looking at your credentials, I'm trying to figure out why it took so long. Um, so the Sam Alvey fight in 2014, then I'd imagine you thought you were on the cusp at that point in time. And then you went on a run, obviously, thereafter. And and that was how you punched the ticket. Right. Yeah. No, I, and I fought Sam before, too, in 2010. So I think we're one and one technically. And then, yeah, for a while, I couldn't get anybody to fight me. I had too big of a record. Um, you know, I wasn't a good matchup for pretty much anyone, obviously. And it came to like, I took a last minute fight in Tennessee and then I got the chance to fight for the RFA belt. And that kind of really catapulted me up into the UFC after that. Right. All right. So real quick, before we get into the picks, a couple more things on you. So a hundred thousand dollars in bonus money this year. I know the government takes a decent chunk, but we had the Dawkins brothers on last week. And, you know, I talk about bringing these bonuses home to these wives. And I believe you're a young father as well. Like, what is it like as a husband and father to, you know, bring that second bonus check home this year? I'd be like, honey, here's the check. I'll see you in fucking two weeks. Like, (laughs) yeah, we still got like a fresh out the box baby. So I don't really get to do that. I still got to stay around the house and take care of them and change diapers. But, uh, you know, it's it's. A, a great great thing obviously but i will say i you know i right away i pretty much got the contract for the next fight so i didn't really have time to like fully let it sink in i was just, i'm so focused already on the next fight and like what's coming next and you know my wife is doing very good in her job and she's moving up in the ranks i'm i have another fight booked i'm gonna try and open a gym here pretty soon so i've got such a full plate right now i'm not thinking so much about like how awesome it is so much as like I'm trying to get all my ducks in a row so I can make this thing work. Sure. Well, it was a huge win over Mahmoud Murata back in August. And before we get to the picks, just anything else you can share in terms of the gym and the future? Um, You know, we've obviously seen from afar some of these defections out of Milwaukee, um, largely because of COVID-19. But uh, any any insight for us as to what exactly is on the horizon there? Uh, so it'll probably start early next year. I wanted to do it this fall, actually, but I got booked for a fight right away. And, you know, I would hate to open up a gym and be like, all right, guys, uh, I'm not going to see you for another six weeks. So have fun. But, right. yeah. uh, you know, I'll probably be up in the Heartland area, most likely. And, you know, two, three days a week to start off with, get a little something built there, like probably mostly be grappling to start off with. And then we'll kind of take it from there and just let it grow organically. 
All right, man. Well, it's great to see you and great to have you on the show. And we talk a lot on these airwaves about sort of the offensive submission game and it being kind of a lost art. So we got a lot of respect for you. And, you know, Sean Shelby has an absolute submission bias when it comes to handing out bonuses. So I hope they keep coming your way. All right. Seven picks today uh, for UFC 267. Don't forget special presentation on ESPN+. Plus. This is not a pay-per-view. All you need, the E-plus subscription to watch. First fight for us, Gerald. Uh, featured prelim. In the strawweight division, Amanda Hebos, the minus 140 favorite against Vina Janji Doba, who returns fire at plus 120. GM3, who do you have here, sir? Uh, I'll go with Hebos on that one. Ken Flo, Amanda Hebos, number 11 in the world versus number 12, Janji Doba. Hebos, 28, Janji Doba, 33. A lot of similarities in terms of the UFC career, sixth appearance for both in the octagon. Uh, Kakada has finished all of her UFC wins. Hibas trying to respond well after her first career loss to Marina Rodriguez. What do you think about this one here at 115 pounds? Yeah, I, I agree. I agree with Gerald here. I, I like Hibas. I, I think that her takedown uh, game is just better than Janji Doba. I think that, you know, uh, she, she's not you know, shabby on the ground either, but I think that's where Janji Doba needs to win this fight is take her down, control her, you know, out position her. And I just don't think her takedowns are at that high of a level. And and I'm not sure her striking is at that high of a level to be a threat, uh, to get into that clinch and be consistent with that. So I, I, I think he is the right call here as well. Am I allowed to say that Vina Janji Doba is one of my favorite fighters in the UFC? I don't know if I can say that, but I really She's enjoy tough, watching man. I like the curly lettuce. I like the whole goddamn package. All right. Main card opener at light heavyweight. Magomed Ankalaev minus 350. Volkan Uzdemir plus 270. So I'm sure Gerald remembers this when Ankalaev was submitted by Paul Craig with a second to go. That was his UFC debut in 2018. Since he's obviously won six in a row, 15 and one, number seven in the world. Gerald, Ankalaev getting a huge amount of respect here from Vegas against Volkan Uzdemir. Um, how do you handicap this one? Uh, I'd have to agree with Vegas. I think Ankalev is he's got pretty good power on the feet. You wouldn't uh, necessarily consider him a striker, but in his last few fights, he's shown really good striking. And on top of that, I think he has the wrestling to take down Ozdemir and kind of like control him and pretty much do what he wants. You know, if he wants to stand on the feet, I don't think he'd be a fish out of water by any means, but I think with all the grappling, the offensive top pressure that he has, uh, he could make it a pretty easy night for himself, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I think you sort of handicapped that one well. Ken Flo, Volkan Uzdemir, known quantity to fans at this point. He fought DC for the title in what was just his fourth UFC appearance. He's only fought once since 2019, but on paper he does come in having won two of three overall. Uh, Uzdemir and Ankalaya Flo, who do you have? Yeah, listen, I think Uzdemir is going to be dangerous uh, throughout this fight. I know he's been working a lot on his grappling. He has definitely shown improvements there. But uh, I agree with uh, Gerald here as well. I can't go the other way. I think uh, Ankalaev is very consistent. I think so long as he doesn't get, um, you know, wild and start trading with Uzdemir in the pocket, I think Ankalaev uh, wins this fight. I also think he has the wrestling skills, like Gerald said, to uh, get that top position and, and chip away and win rounds that way. So uh, Ankalaev for the win. By the way, I love when your teammate Showtime Pettis posts those winning tickets on you. I mean, he's probably made $25,000 betting on you with some of those prices over the years, you know. All right. Former GF3 opponent, Kamzat Shimaev, uh, fighting at welterweight this weekend. He's the minus 435 favorite against the leech Li Jingliang, who comes back at plus 330. So 
Chimaev got sick with COVID-19, hinted at retirement. Now he's back for the first time in more than a year. Uh, Jing Liang, obviously, Gerald, has a wealth of UFC experience. Um, you've shared the octagon with Hamzat Chimaev, who many of us believe is really special. What are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I didn't really get to share the octagon with him for too long, so I didn't really get a full feel for exactly what he does. Right. But uh, I will say, I think Chimaev probably wins this fight. Uh, the one thing um, that you can say about him is he doesn't really make any mistakes. You know, He doesn't really open up too much for a lot of stuff. But however, very, very hard to beat somebody who doesn't make mistakes. And I think uh, Lee is going to have to open up at some point to try and make something happen. And, you know, you go against a guy like that who just kind of stays on his, uh, you know, his ABs and Cs really, really basic, but really effective. You open up against someone like that, they're going to take that opening and, you know, make you pay for it. Yeah. Another good breakdown from Gerald Mershard. I mean, get this man on the UFC desk already. Kamzachi Maev, 9-0 Ken Flo, 27 years old, pro debut in 2018. <laughs> on the other side, the leech man, I mean, he has had a knack for sort of coming up large, especially when people are counting him out. 14 UFC fights, he's won four of five, finished Santiago Ponzinibbio, finished Elizio Zaleski Dos Santos. Um, candidly, Ken Flo, like what, what kind of shot do you give Ching Leung against the guy who's all the rage in Chimaev? Well, Jing Leung isn't going to be intimidated by Chimaev. He, he's not going to be, you know, overtaken by the moment. He hits very hard. He's as tough as they come. Uh, I, I think where he's most susceptible is on the ground. I think that's where Chimaev can outposition him uh, and TKO him that way. But he's not necessarily going to be an easy guy uh, to just knock out. Um, but, uh, you know, that said, I like Chimaev here as well. A, a lot can happen in a year, you know, either, you know, good or bad. Um, I assume that he's healthy and he's ready to rock. Uh, and um, I like Chimaev to get right back on track and and to win here uh, against uh, Lee Jigliang. My biggest question is the the fight before the fight. You know, I do think Chimaev long term is probably going to be a middleweight, but we'll see how it goes for him on Friday, yeah. uh, making the weight in Abu Dhabi. All right, at heavyweight, fellas, Alexander Volkov minus three ten, Marcin Tabora plus two forty five. So Volkov's wife just welcomed a second son a few days ago, uh, if you care. Tabora has won five in a row to get into title contention for the first time in a long time. 4-0 in 2020 for Tabora and a stoppage of Walt Harris in June of this year. Uh, what do you think about this one, Gerald, at heavyweight? Volkov, 3-1 to favorite over Tabora. Uh, I kind of like Tabora, actually, only because Volkov has a tendency to get kind of tall. Uh, on the feet and leave himself open kind of like how he did with Derek Lewis. And it's not, it's not something that, you know, you can, can just fix overnight when you're that much lankier and taller than most guys, you get away with pulling a lot and kind of sticking your head up where you shouldn't be doing it. And I think yeah. Tybura is going to be kind of dirty enough and in his face enough where he can really make him pay for that. And if not, you know, kind of rock him on the feet, at least get him leaning back enough that he can get an easy takedown. Yeah, I think the price is wider than I expected it to be, Kenny. You know, Volkov didn't have much for Seattle Ghana in the main event his last time out in June. Still in the mix, though, uh, large, skilled individual. He's got a mean streak, and when it comes out, he really puts it on people. Uh, Volkov in the top five, Tabora number nine, big stakes at heavyweight. Ken Flo, who takes it? 
Yeah, listen, I, I think Marchine uh, is is going to be somewhat dangerous on the feet. Um, maybe not as dangerous as Volkov, but he is dangerous on the ground as well. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think Volkov uh, is going to be tough on the feet still. I, I do agree with Gerald that that is definitely going to be a, a weakness. You want to be you don't want to be standing too tall and then get caught with like an overhand right or something like that. But, um, you know, Volkov has an unbelievable chin. He's shown that in pretty much every single fight. Um, I, I'm going to go the other way. I, I, I like the Russian here. I'm going to go with Volkov. All right, next up, featured bout in the UFC's lightweight division, Islam Makashev, minus 550, Dan Hooker, plus 400. Hooker's story well-documented at this point in time, stayed in Vegas after the big win over Nasrat Hakparas. That was September 25th. And I think because of those circumstances, in some part, uh, he felt like the time was right and the risk was right to take it this time um, because Makashev is the toughest fight, I think, for a lot of these guys at 155 pounds. You know, Gerald, Brad Riddell, who I believe is ranked now, maybe not, but his sort of theory is, you know, I want that Gregor Gillespie fight, which got canceled, to come around again because he kind of feels like Islam might be the guy when he's ready to fight for the title. And I just think guys, stylists like Gillespie and Makhachev, um, it's just a great equalizer. So what what are your, what are your thoughts on Hooker and his chances against uh, – against Islam Makashev this weekend? Uh, man, my my heart says Dan Hooker, but my head says Makhachev. Yeah, yeah. He's just such a dominant force. Um, you know, I, I think he, he can get a hold of Dan Hooker a lot easier than people think because uh, I'm pretty sure they're fighting at the apex and that cage is kind of small. Like, you only get a couple steps before you're running into the cage wall. Now, if they were in a bigger cage, and Hooker really had some room to move around and kind of use his length. Maybe he'd have a little bit more of an advantage, but he's, you know, coming off a quick well, turnaround. I think we got, in kind of I think we oh, got the footer at Eddie Hot Arena, I believe. I mean, I can't say with certainty, but the fight will be in Abu Dhabi. Okay. So I think it'll be the 30 footer. And you're right to sort of inject that into the handicap because okay. those, those well, then, yeah. are useful, you know? Yeah, he might, he might have a better chance then, but damn it's hard to keep a guy like that off of you. You know what I mean? He, you know, pretty much like took the Khabib blueprint. Obviously they all train together. So it's very, very similar. Right. But you know, it's kind of a a game where can I keep you off me long enough to get enough offense off and possibly catch you. But man, it's hard to do. Yeah, man. He's 20 and one lone blemish. Adriano Martins in 2015, Kenny Makashev's one eight in a row. Last of which, uh, Rear naked choke over Tiago Moises in a main event. That was July 17th. Your thoughts on Islam as usual, entrenched as a huge betting favorite here. Yeah, listen, I think that Mahashev um, is even more of a threat in some ways than Habib. You know, obviously from what we've seen from Habib, his ground game is still at a higher level. Uh, but I do think that anyone who watched, who has watched both of them fight would agree that Mahashev does have the cleaner striking. He is more technical. He's more of a threat on the feet, which allows him um, to be able to get into that range that he wants and look for those takedowns. So Dan Hooker, I, I assume he's going to be showing a lot of lateral movement, a lot of circling in that cage in Abu Dhabi. But um, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Dan Hooker. He does so many things well. He's so dangerous. I love his willingness to fight and entertain and, and look for the finish. Uh, and while I do think he could finish uh, Mahashev on the feet with, with a, a knee or something like that, I, I think that Mahashev is just a little bit too smart uh, to, to fall into one of those traps. Uh, I think he you know, takes the path of least resistance, which is taking down Dan Hooker and looking for the finish there. Uh, I like Mahashev here. 
Well, whoever wins is going to be in prime position. I mean, if Dan Hooker is somehow able to win that fight, you know. Oh, my gosh. Next step title shot, I think, in many respects. Uh, All right, co-headliner for the UFC's interim Bantamweight title, Piotr Jan minus 235, Corey Sanhagen plus 190. Uh, Gerald, we'll take a round and a method of victory if you have it. So, little backdrop for you. Sanhagen lost the five-round split to TJ Dillashaw. That was July 24th. TJ, of course, is injured, uh, and many did think Sanhagen won, which is probably neither here nor there. Um, But getting his first shot at a UFC belt here, Still a decent-sized underdog against Piotr Jan, Gerald, who many believe is the best bantamweight in the world right now. Who do you think leaves Abu Dhabi with the gold, brother? Uh, so I'm completely biased in this respect because I train with Corey a little bit. So just to put that out there so no one's confused as to why I'm saying this. But uh, I'll go with Corey by submission in round four. And I think, I, I think because Piotr Jan is so good with his fundamentals and he stays – you know, he's another guy like he doesn't really make mistakes. He's very active with his jab. His right hand is always at home, cocked and ready. Um, if he opens up, it's with a purpose and it's not just a throw and hope. You know what I mean? But I think that Sanhagen's length and kind of his, you know, awkward movement and even in grappling, you know, I got to roll with him a little bit too. He moves different. Like it's very effective, but it's not like what you would be used to. So I think the length, the timing, uh, just the look and the feel of it is going to really kind of play to his favor and it's going to get you know Piotr to possibly open up and do some stuff he wouldn't normally do and like you know maybe he will go for a takedown and be like I can't get a hold of this kid and that'll kind of lead him into this web where you know Sandhagen you know I'd say gets like a triangle or something in round four how about that that's great insight on the Sandhagen side and Kenny I would say on the other side for my technical breakdown I didn't wholly appreciate Piotr Jan until I saw him fight live. The kid is unbelievable. That's all I have for you technically, obviously. But uh, his last fight, of course, against Aljo UFC 259. You know, Longo probably wouldn't like to hear me say it, but it just feels right that Piotr Jan is competing for a piece of the Bantamweight title in his next fight back, even though I know he made a mistake that adversely affected his career. Um, but the only man to beat Piotr Jan in the UFC, Ken Flo, largely has been himself. Will Sanhagen be the guy to beat Piotr Jan? You know, Sanhagen, uh, like Gerald mentioned, it is a tough out for anybody. You know, he is a, a little bit awkward. and I should say unorthodox, right? Um, he has a lot of different weapons. His range, his height can give a lot of people trouble. Uh, whereas Piotr Jan is very much all about fundamentals. Uh, doesn't make a whole lot of mistakes besides the, the last fight. Um, and, you know, just defensively sound. I think in this fight, I wouldn't be surprised to see Piotr Jan actually look for takedowns here in this fight. Uh, I think maybe he thinks that's where Sanhagen, um, you know, might be weakest. And, and I think he'd be right. Uh, not that Sanhagen is weak uh, on, on the ground, but that's where he perhaps is most susceptible and least dangerous. Um, Sanhagen, uh, you know, can really throw off a lot of great strikers out there. I thought he did win that fight against TJ Dillashaw. Uh, the fact that it was even close, I think, says a lot to, to Corey's skill level and where he's at. I think he's extremely confident here. Um, and Jan, um, I think, might be thrown off by that that reach and uh, ability to, you know, dictate the distance there by, by Sanhagen. So um, I think it's going to be a, a relatively close fight, but I like Sanhagen here as well. I think Corey gets it done by decision. Um, I think it's going to be a fantastic fight. Piotr Jan is as tough as they come, is mentally tough as they come, very, very sound everywhere. But uh, I think Sanhagen, um, his weapons, his diversity, his versatility is going to be the difference in this fight. 
got a round, got a method for us. Uh, decision. All right, Corey Sanhagen yeah. by decision for Ken Flo. By the way, he's plus 190 right now on DraftKings Sportsbook. I'm pretty curious to see where it closes uh, come Saturday night. All right, and finally, Gerald, we'll get you out of here on this main event. Jan Bohovic, minus 275. Glover Teixeira, plus 220. Feels like Jan's been the champion for longer than a year to me. Title-winning effort against Dom Reyes, I think, just resonated in a huge way with a lot of people. Uh, and then the first title defense, you take Israel Adesanya's O. Um, second title defense here against Glover, who has won five in a row and who will turn 42 two days before the fight. Gerald Mershart, who leaves Abu Dhabi as the undisputed UFC light heavyweight champion. Man, this is a really interesting fight for me. Uh you know, if you look at worth mentioning, I believe three of the last five opponents for Bohovich, all really middleweights, right? He fought Jacare, he fought Luke Rockhold, and he fought Adesanya. Um, now that being said, Teixeira is definitely a pretty good sized two oh fiver, and he's been yeah. fighting some really, really big two oh fivers. Um, I think Teixeira on the feet is a I'd give him a little bit of the edge. He does really good with the inside boxing. He's gotten a lot better at closing the distance and letting his hands go in tight spaces. Um, I think I give a slight edge to Teixeira, but the one thing I am interested to see, because I've seen Teixeira kind of gas before and get tired. The one thing Bohovic has done very, very well as of late is had a really good gas tank, which is not a common thing for big guys. The whole Izzy fight, he's flinching and moving and reacting to every single little fake that Izzy's given him. And that's hard for anybody, let alone a guy as big as Bohovich. And he did it all five rounds and was fine and still scored takedowns. So uh, I I would pick personally, I go Teixeira by TKO in round three. Uh, but, you know, if he starts gassing and Bohovich kind of stays with that motor going and keeps a high, high pace, you know, you could see and still. But, you know, for my money, I'd got to put money on Teixeira. How about that? And you've elevated my excitement for the fight just with your breakdown. Ken Flo, Teixeira lost a three-round unanimous decision to Corey Anderson, July 22nd, 2018. Push the reset button on, like, the whole thing, you know, in terms of the strength and conditioning. One last, like, hard concerted push to get back to a championship setting. Five straight wins, Robertson, Kutelaba, Krilov, Anthony Smith, Tiago Santos. Four of those finishes. Second title shot, first since April of 2014. What are your thoughts? Yeah, Gerald, I thought that was an excellent breakdown. I'm upset that you picked Teixeira um, because I, I'm going to go with Glover as well. I think wow. that, yeah, I, I think that Teixeira, I was really excited when Teixeira uh, won his last fight because I, out of almost a lot of the 205ers out there, I do feel like he matches up extremely well against uh, Bojovic. I think that, you know, when you talk about his ground game, his experience, his striking, his ability to feint and, and use a lot of different tools, um, I, I don't think he's going to be necessarily the fastest guy at 205 pounds, but he is effective. He is confident. Um, and I like that he's had a little bit of a layoff to prepare and strategize for this fight. Um, so Bohovic is dangerous, right? And Glover's been fighting a long time. Bohovic could land a shot on the jaw and end this fight. But I, I just feel like skill for skill, Glover Teixeira uh, is right there, if not better, um, and, and some facets of this game, which I think are, are crucial to getting the win here. So I, I like Glover as well. I, I'm not sure um, it ends by finish. I'm going to go with Glover by decision uh, here, but um, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I, I do think he's a little bit better on the ground as well. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I like Glover to win this fight. This should be a, a fun one. 
He'll be crying some happy tears if he breaks through. I'm going to tell Jan you both picked against him. No, of course I won't do that. Uh, all right, Gerald Mershard on Instagram <laughs> is at the underscore GM3. Do you have a date and a fight on the books? Uh, and if so, can you tell us what it is? I do. Uh, I have Abus Magomedov December 18th at the Apex. December 18th. All right. I don't know if I'm working that one, but I hope to see you soon. I would love to see you get a shot on the UFC desk. Really appreciate you stepping up, especially on a Sunday. Great analysis. And uh, we look forward to seeing you back in that octagon December 18th, my brother. Thank you for your time. Sincerely. I appreciate you guys. Great job, man. All right. There he is. Gerald Mershart with us for the main event challenge this week. So both of you guys picking the underdogs in the two title fights, Corey Sandhagen and Glover Teixeira. You were pretty chalky the rest of the way, but that's very interesting. I really am yeah. curious if Corey Sandhagen's going to close like plus 160 because despite Piotr Jan's brilliance and how good, you know, I hear you guys talk about him and everybody glows about Jan, but it seems like all the pro fighters I talk to, at least right now, early during fight week, um, are picking Corey Sandhagen. So we'll see. Yeah, listen, and it could go the other way, right? I mean, Piotr Jan, I think his best uh, path to victory is taking him down. He's got some brutal ground and pound. Uh, he could win this fight, you know, maybe by TKO or maybe, you know, get some kind of a submission. But I just think like Corey's just firing on all cylinders, man. Um, so, yeah. All yeah. right. We'll see how it plays out. All right. Our final order of business. It is the pick to click. It's presented by oddshark.com, the most reliable source for sports betting information with the latest odds, insight, and analysis on everything UFC. I would strongly encourage you to check out oddshark.com slash UFC to get all you need to know before placing your bets on the upcoming fights this weekend. They got the Oddshark Fight Center, outstanding resource for fans and media alike, all the matchup information presented in a nice, ingestible way. They give you all the odds from the various sports books and their experts, not only entertaining like Joel Osborne, but they've been invested in mixed martial arts, capping MMA for a long time. So check it out in advance of UFC 267, oddshark.com slash UFC. Do not forget the second desk. Time now for the pick to click. The pick to click. All I have to do is bet on the winner, and I'll never lose. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. All right, now joining us from oddshark.com, sports betting analyst Joe Osborne. Joel. Joey, Joey kid, Joe, week seven of the NFL is kicking off in 29 minutes and you're breaking yeah. off some time for your friends. So thank you for that. Guys, you guys call me 30 minutes before my wedding. <laughs> I would join you guys. Right? <laughs> 30 you. minutes before a family man member's funeral. No, <laughs> before the wedding, maybe I, I would make time for you guys. So yeah, I'm happy. You know, this is top of mind for me anyways, right? It's fight week. So right. uh, happy to join you guys. Well, I know you're juggling children and handicapping and everything else, but uh, I want to get your thoughts, obviously, on UFC 267. Glover Teixeira and Jan Bohovic, UFC light heavyweight championship fight. Bohovic has been the underdog in nine of his last ten. He is not the underdog this weekend. How do you handicap the light heavyweight title fight coming up here in about six days? Yeah, Blahovic, otherwise known as the most undervalued man in the history of the UFC from a betting perspective. Now, I don't totally have all the numbers to back that up, but you, I think you would <laughs> be hard-pressed to find yeah. a guy that's been an underdog in nine of his last ten and won eight of those fights, right? So pretty impressive, but of course that's not the case here uh, this week versus uh, Glover Teixeira. Uh, Blahovic should probably be a little bit overvalued, in my opinion, at minus 280, but I still do like him to win. But as I often say, like, I'm not going to come on your podcast and give it a minus 280 winner. Like, there's probably a lot of casual bettors listening to the podcast, people betting $25, $50, and they're not interested in a minus 280 bet right, unless right. they're doing some type of parlay maybe. But 
A pretty good spot here. Uh, some books have props up for the fight. And you can get Blahovich to win by TKO slash KO up plus 155. So a good plus money spot there. In my opinion, you know, uh, Teixeira gets hit a lot. He has a negative striking differential in his UFC career, and he's been outstruck in seven of his last 10 fights. Blahovich, on the other hand, much more technically sound on the feet, in my opinion, especially from a uh, defensive perspective. He's outlanded nine of his last 10 opponents, some by a very wide margin. And, of course, he's finished three of his last four opponents with his hands as well. It, it only takes one with that Polish power, right, guys, as you guys know, as you've witnessed firsthand, John. But um, some might be concerned about the takedown. I think that's going to be part of uh, Teixeira's strategy here. Me, not so much. You know, Blahovich has only been taken down twice in his last 10 fights. So I think he's going to find his spot. Uh, it might be later in the fight. You know, there might be some interest in the over two and a half, potentially. Um, I might not. I probably won't bet that myself. But I will take that plus money spot, plus 155, uh, Blahovich by TKO slash KO. I like that. And, and Joe, we have an awesome co-main event. Uh, mm -hmm. Piotr Jan taking on Corey Sanhagen. Uh, both Gerald Mearshart and myself, uh, we went uh, with the underdog, Corey Sanhagen. Oh, wow. okay. how, how are you picking this fight, man? Uh, you guys know I love uh, Piotr Jan, right? Uh, I don't think there's a man in the division right now uh, that can beat him. Uh, so I like him to win. And same as the previous fight, I'm not going to come on here and give out a minus 235 uh, favorite, right? There's not a whole lot of interest there. But uh, we go to the prop market once again, and I'll take him to win by decision uh, plus 150. And that can be a bit scary. Uh, you know, each of these guys a very high-volume striker. So taking a fight to go to decision 25 minute long, that can be a bit scary. But each of these guys has also proven that they can take a lot of punishment, right? Each guy is very durable. Neither has ever been finished by strikes in their MMA careers. Uh, but there's a few things that do lend themselves to a bit of a longer fight here. Yon uh, is a bit of a slow starter. Maybe that is intentional, but you look at his last two fights versus Sterling and Aldo, and uh, his volume didn't really increase a lot until the later rounds of the fight. So I do think that lends itself to a bit of a longer fight. Um, I think his grappling could come into play here. Uh, I was very surprised in his most recent fight with Sterling. Who had him landing more takedowns in that fight? I right, think right, he had right, seven right. in that fight, too. Very impressive. So what does that do? That chews up a lot of clock, right? So I'd love to see them pressing each other up against the cage. Um, but, yeah, ultimately, Yon uh, does get the nod here. Uh, he does have the grappling advantage. I do think he is a better defensive striker as well. He does get hit less. But I just think, you know... I wouldn't say each guy is finish proof. I mean, we've saw, we've seen Sanhagen get finished uh, by Sterling. Uh, maybe that will go down as an outlier in his career, right? But uh, Piotr Jan, by decision, plus 150. Uh, if you're unsure of picking a side, you can pick the fight to go to decision at minus 135. That's not a bad bet, regardless of who wins, as long as it does go the full five rounds. Yeah. Uh, you got a winner and I could see it looking, uh, I could see this being a close fight, right? Uh, it is closer than the odds would indicate, but I think it could look a lot like the TJ Dillashaw fight, uh, that Sanhagen recently went through and, you know, a different set of judges on that night and he could very well have gotten the W in that one. Right. So it's a great fight. Very, very high level mixed martial arts. So, uh, it should be fantastic, but yeah, uh, Interesting plus money prop opportunity there, in my opinion. 
Well, you've clearly done your homework, and, and you're right. High level is probably the best way to describe that matchup. And I like the way you've chosen to attack the board because, candidly, Piotr Jan minus 230, if you don't know sort of the language, $23 bet on Piotr Jan returns you 10 bucks, right? So if your budget is 50 bucks on fight night, you know, I don't know the 23 of it's going to Piotr Jan on a straight wager. All right, before we let you go, we do have a World Series matchup. We mm. were hoping we would have one by the time we taped. It will be the Atlanta Braves. And the Houston Astros. Um, is there a series price out? There's got to be one by now, right? Yeah, and how, how sad for those uh, Dodgers and that bloated payroll, right? That things didn't work out for them this season. You know, <laughs> they just can't get it done during a, a typical uh, regular season of baseball, right? They need a the season to be heavily impacted by a worldwide pandemic <laughs> to actually uh, get it done, right? Um, I, love, I love it. And I know you probably know better than to come on here and bang on the Red Sox, although we'll take any <laughs> you have. But man, it's like, I don't like to put asterisks on championships necessarily, but with the Dodgers, right? I don't think Dave Roberts, for all he did for my Boston Red Sox, I don't like Dave Roberts as the manager, and like they have underachieved. Like, there's no doubt about it. And a lot of people celebrating the Dodgers' failure seems like. Oh, yeah. And a, a lot of Dodgers fans this morning. Well, look at all the injuries. Well, did do you not realize the Braves' best player was not participating in the playoffs, Ronald Lacuna? <laughs> like, come on, guys. That goes both right. ways. Right, right. And, you, you know, I do give your Red Sox credit. I'm the Blue Jays fan, so I despise right. uh, the right. Red Sox. And I, I'm generally not big on uh, the Boston sports fan in general. <laughs> so, you know, despite that, thank you for having me on. But, uh, yeah, they uh, the expectations weren't very high on Boston coming into the season, but it looks like, uh, you know, no rebuild, no retool. They're just going to be there, you know, with this core that they have. So good for them. But on to this World Series, you know, I thought that I was going to be on the Braves here because I expected uh, the Astros to be a much bigger favorite, but they're only minus 133 to win the World Series and I think that's a very fair price, guys. You know, they do have a very big offensive edge in this one. The bullpens are probably close. You probably give the Braves a starting pitching edge. But that hasn't really mattered for the Astros. It's just like a mismatch of starting pitchers that they're throwing in there. Yeah, you know, yeah. no Lance McCullers Jr. anymore. You know, they're bringing uh, Zach Franke back from the dead there to get a couple innings. That didn't really go very well for him. But I think they ended up winning that game in Fenway either way. But they're they're just fearless this team you know we saw the red sox beat the shit out of them with all those grand slams they had all the momentum in the world but uh you know it didn't really scare the astros so i'll take them i think that's a very fair number minus 133 oh, yeah. i thought they were i thought they were going to be around minus 165 minus 170 in that case i would have said well you know the braves are worth a shot here but Maybe a bit of a red flag. You know, the Braves do have that starting pitching edge. Uh, Max Fried and Charlie Morton, they both look pretty bad in their most recent starts in that series. Now, maybe that's just one bad start over the course of many throughout the season. But maybe, you know, we're at the end of the season. Maybe they're getting tired. Maybe they're winding down a little bit. So sure. maybe a tiny little bit of a red flag here. But ultimately, uh, the Astros' offense is, uh, you know, pretty big gap between the two of them. So I'll take them at that number. I like that number, minus 133. I know Cody Merrow, our producer, is bullish on the Atlanta Braves, but I do like Houston at minus 133. All right, if you want more from Joe Osborne, oddshark.com, at JTFOZ on Twitter, and, of course, on Instagram, at Paper Chaser Joe. My man, enjoy your NFL Sunday. We appreciate your time, and enjoy the fights uh, this weekend as well, brother. Awesome, guys. Thank you very much. Good luck to you and good luck to all the listeners out there. Thank you, brother. There he is, Joe Osborne, with us for all pay-per-view weeks. And, of course, we're treating this like one. And um, I always like when we get 
analytics from the fighters and then you see all the wealth of numbers and just the angles that he's approaching his handicap versus you guys like i think it's a pretty comprehensive handicap of ufc 267 today thank you to our guests joe osborne ray longo gerald mershart uh ken flow safe travels to south florida my brother we will be watching wednesday night Kenflo's on mute. Is he on mute, Cody? I want to yes. hear his voice. I am. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. Yes. Hey, safe travels safe to travels. you as well. Thank you. And uh, Chicago, Abu Dhabi, a lot of flying. I'll check in with y'all from uh, from Abu Dhabi on Instagram. Um, and then New York City, as we mentioned for our next podcast, Monday, November 1st, uh, as we preview UFC 268. And if you think I asked you to make a lot of predictions for UFC 267, then just buckle up because you got eight of them coming up next Monday for UFC 268. Thank you to our producer, Cody Merrill, with that for Ken Flom, John Anna. Thank you all for listening, for watching. Um, and the more friends you get to subscribe, uh, the more more episodes we will do. Um, that's actually not true. Uh, you'll <laughs>this episode is sponsored by better help so when you are at your best you can do great things but sometimes life gets you bogged down and you may feel a touch overwhelmed perhaps you're not showing up the way that you would like to i can certainly relate you know there's a phrase in the song there's no business like show business and it says there's no people like show people they smile when they are low and for me being in the public eye has been challenging at least in terms of always projecting happiness when perhaps that's not how i'm feeling well, whatever your situation, working with a therapist can help you get closer to the best version of you. And when you feel empowered, you're more prepared to take on everything that life throws your way. For me, it's imperative that I'm my best self in order to just perform at a high level. And when I don't feel that way, BetterHelp is a great option and a great resource for therapy. It's convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online. You just fill out a brief questionnaire. That gets you matched with a licensed therapist. You can switch out anytime for no additional charge if you're not happy. For me, I'm on the road about 100 nights a year, so being able to connect with someone remotely was absolutely huge for me. And my mindset really candidly has changed for the better. So if you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Florian today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Florian. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. 
Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.